0: We're back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio, and we're going back to school. <laughs> this morning in studio, we have joining our uh, roundtable talk, Public School Superintendent Keith Hayashi and School Board Chair Bruce Voss. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Great to be here, Catherine.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, we've got uh, school starting. We've got students returning to the classroom uh, uh, August 1st. We have our teachers back in the classroom, I believe, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we ready, Kate?
2: We're ready. We are.
0: And, and so talk about, you know, w- where we're at. I mean, we just have a, a, the Department of Health issued guidance on uh, mask wearing, and that's been, of course, the, the big, one of the big issues uh, in our schools. So how are we looking at this?
2: Uh, we, we've had uh, universal ma- indoor masking at our schools um, uh, for the last school year, and that was really important uh, as we uh, in, move forward in ensuring that our students were able to stay in school um, you know, in looking at if students were um, uh, were to become in, in infectious, then there were there were quarantine and isolation requirements for students. So the masking indoor masking was really important uh, to ensure that we could keep students in school, limit the absences, because we know that in school learning is so important. You know, um, with with changes in uh, within the guidance from the Department of Health and uh, uh, the Department of Education working very closely with them. Uh, we've now moved from universal indoor masking to uh, um, a point where uh, masking is optional. However, it's still very highly encouraged. Uh, and, and The Department of Health is also saying that, especially when uh, uh, numbers are high in the community, um, we want to be sure that uh, we encourage our students and, and our staff uh, to to mask. So definitely highly encouraged.
0: And Bruce, you know, w- we've seen uh, lots of progress with vaccinations and, you know, they're now offering to very young children. Uh, what's the board's hope, I guess, going into the school year?
1: Well, the board's prior resolution, Catherine, was directing the department to uh, consult with and follow the guidance of the Department of Health, which the department did. And uh, as the superintendent said, that uh, guidance has evolved where masks will be optional um, at the decision of the student and parent, but highly encouraged. And um, we look forward to the department um, providing guidance to everyone on those circumstances when masking may still be appropriate, for example, when large numbers of students are in a closed place with limited ventilation, and also providing guidance to schools on how they might seek to optimize uh, ventilation. Uh, under the many school uh, circumstances we have here, AC, no AC, louvers. And one thing that I, I do wanna mention, Catherine, is you know a lot of hoo-hoo about masking, and we've all seen that, right? You've had some um, rough board meetings. We had some rough <laughs> board meetings, but um, Keith's uh, crew, his team, And the department were committed to what the board directed them to do, which was to keep schools open, to accelerate um, the uh, addressing of the learning loss. And they did that. And at the end of the day, you know, the governor's policies, which weren't always popular, the mayor's policies, which were much unpopular, as well as what we did in schools. At the end of the day, the state of Hawaii had the lowest per capita infection rate and the lowest uh, per capita death rate in the country. And that's something to be really proud of. And we did it while we kept our students in school. And that's what I hope people um, can look at, be proud of as we look forward to the next steps.
0: Well, you know, but with vaccines, though, you know, I mean, I know there are just a laundry list of vaccines that kids normally have to have before they walk in the classroom. But with uh, the COVID vaccines, I mean, we're recommending that everybody get vaccinated, you know, because that's another tool that we have. Uh, But is there any way of, you know, knowing and, and checking to see who's vaccinated, who's
2: not? The um, the requirements for vaccinations for schools, actually that comes under the purview of the Department of Health. And so, uh, you know, they do have a process uh, from which they work from uh, to determine which vaccinations are requir- required. And once they are, then definitely the Department of Education will, uh, you know, work together with parents to ensure that those uh, uh, those vaccinations are, are um are taken by our students. And okay. currently, though, the, the COVID vaccine is not a required vaccine.
0: Right. But uh, I don't know. Is there any way to ask? I don't know. Bruce, are we allowed to do that? You're, you're a lawyer. <laughs> I, I,
1: I am in my spare time. <laughs> uh, no, as as Keith said, uh, vaccinations for COVID are not currently required, and that would be a process that the Department of Health would, would direct. I think what the department has done, and done a good job of this, is make sure that the information about the vaccines and their efficacy is available to students and their parents, uh, had special vaccination clinics uh, if, if, if students and their parents wanted to take advantage of them and give them the choice. And I think as we have the new variants, the BA5, uh, the evolution of the different types of, of um, vaccines, like Novavax is coming out, very different type of vac- vaccination that may address some of the concerns, that we continue to provide that information to our students and our parents so they can make a wise and informed choice.
0: Okay. You know, we did talk to um, Dr. Karkin, uh, He's the chief of infectious disease with Kaiser Permanente. Uh, he says the uh, COVID variants that we're seeing now are particularly contagious. Here's what he had to say.
3: We're certainly seeing an unbelievable number of infections as these new variants, which are all sort of genetic children and grandchildren of the original BA1, the Omicron, that came out in January or so in Hawaii at least. And these sub variants that we're dealing with, BA2 and BA two twelve one and now BA 4 and 5, especially BA 5, you know, they make their hay by being able to evade the immune protection that has been built up from prior vaccinations or infections. And it's very easy to become infected with them, even if you are not new in terms of your immune system's familiarity with prior variants.
0: And Dr. Collis, you know, is concerned because he fears that there is going to be another wave that if you watch just what, what what's going on in Europe, you know, across the U.S., that uh, we're going to see it. So, uh, you know, how are we, how is the DOE and DOH looking at this as, uh, as the teachers get back in next week and mm-hmm. then the kids on Monday?
2: We, we do have a number of mitigation strategies, you know, that we're continuing to implement in the schools. Uh, definitely, as, as we just talked about, um, uh, masking would be definitely highly encouraged for our students um, indoors. Um, continue to, to wash hands. Stay home when you're sick, I think, is, is very important. Uh, and we continue to encourage um, vaccinations for for those families who um, so choose
0: you know we did talk to the uh, head of the Hawaii State Teachers Association Osatui uh, with uh, the school year starting up with uh, out this mass mandate uh, he is uh, hoping that uh, doe officials will will really focus on ventilation
4: you know one of the concerns we have is with masking being removed from being required in our classrooms. What is the Department of Health or Department of Education doing with regards to ventilation? We've been asking the department for one, two years now, what are you doing about ventilation? They they have a five-step ventilation guide online, which includes measuring classroom sizes, estimating outdoor air ventilation rates, and considering supplemental air cleaning strategies if necessary to meet whatever targets they have. But we haven't seen anyone actually doing those measurements. or um, So how is that being carried out? Well, the data we got from the state just says that, oh, we've checked 40. Uh, 40 schools have uh, classrooms which are not well ventilated. Uh, as we continue to ask, is this the full list? Is there more? Who's doing it? When was it done? We've really been stonewalled into to that. And so ventilation is absolutely important now that we're going to be able to uh have students in classrooms with and without math
0: so w- what do you say to that
2: you know, i i think as as far as the measuring the square footage of the classrooms uh the department has been very proactive in the past to um to, we have a database from which uh we have all of the uh classroom dimensions that uh, we can pull from and the office of facilities and operations uh definitely uses that uh, to help make determinations but additionally you know, we we have had Um, state office as well as complex area personnel go to schools and and take these measurements. You know, from the start of, um, you know, the uh, the pandemic, uh, the department has, um, with the support from the board, has definitely invested in ventilation. Uh, You know, approximately 12,000 classrooms statewide. Uh, You know, we have a wide range of ventilation configurations from central AC uh, to louvers to... um, uh, in very different types of, of classroom environments uh, we've made investments to improve indoor air quality uh, we've purchased air purifiers c o two monitors, box fans for schools uh, we've issued policies to schools in, in july twenty um, twenty at, at the height of everything you know to open windows and the proper use of uh, hVAC heating ventilation, and air conditioning systems um, we have processes there in place uh, and investments since twenty twenty you know, over 4,200 HEPA air filters, 650 carbon dioxide sensors, 12,000 box fans. That's about one per classroom. And the box fans are important because as if CO2 uh, uh, levels rise in a class, then we turn the box fan um, the other way, to pull the air out. Mm. Because um, to lower CO2 levels, it's important to get cross-air ventilation into the classrooms.
0: Right, so it becomes an exhaust.
2: As yes, opposed to a, yes. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, the uh, ventilation section, I have a handbook coming out. The new um, uh, guidance is going to be released Monday, uh, you know, from our guidance from the Department of Health. And there is a, a ventilation section in our new guidance that is being updated. So, um, so, it will have chart, a chart on best practices or what schools can do to help address any issues related to ventilation. By, and, and as always, you know, call the state. The principals can definitely call state offices. We'll continue to monitor schools and provide supports of that nature
0: well OSA's Oth- concern is it you know is it forty is it just forty is the information being shared you know what what are the schools if you've identified them
2: we we do have um a number of schools i think from in talking with um uh, office of facilities and operations uh we've the number has come down uh from the sc- classrooms that we did have concerns about uh we are um uh, reevaluating that definitely we'll have that uh that new list out to the principals and area superintendents, so they 'll know exactly which classrooms you know to to monitor on on campus uh, and at the same time uh, you know we'll be looking at other ways that we can mitigate and help to support to ensure that our classrooms are safe because definitely that, that's that 's the number one priority
0: so the schools that are on that list where it 's forty plus um, are they in a particular area are they particularly on the the big island um, Maui.
2: I, I think it's spread you know ac- across the state, but we'll get uh definitely that information out to the um to the schools so that we, we can be sure we're monitoring what we need to monitor
0: and Bruce, how important is that communication you know
1: well that is the key and, and OSA makes a valid point about you know doing the monitoring and getting the information out and the department has done some very good things with esser funds uh, in terms of buying fans buying purifiers in uh, c- continuing to expand our a c But at the end of the day, this really comes down to communication because in the classroom, the teacher needs to know as a practical matter, what do I do here? What can I do to enhance uh, circulation? What can I do to enhance ventilation? And that's maybe the biggest concern or complaint that we get is that as a practical matter in my classroom, what do I do? And I think that's what's very important about the department's guidance that's coming out so that um, it can be there. It can be – it can be distributed widely and then as the teachers have questions within their own particular classrooms because they're all different then we can have that interactive um, uh, you know sessions so communication like so many things Catherine is the key to ventilation.
0: You know uh, the other issue that uh, Shopo uh, has raised is uh, counseling services
4: Making sure that our students have the counseling services that they need. Are we investing in any more counselors? Uh, we're not seeing that services are important for the mental health that our students need to have those types of services. Um, But what we're seeing is, you know, our counselors are uh, getting more and more overloaded with caseloads and the work that they have to do and try to uh, get our kids back into the classrooms, back to the new normal. It's not easy and we really uh, could use more of those types of resources in our schools.
2: We we do have... um a number of uh, of supports for our students to ensure that we are um, addressing you know our students' social emotional needs. Um, primary num- number one uh, uh, support for our students is the classroom teacher. You know, be, st- students see their teachers every day. Um, you know, and, and the teachers work really hard in helping to support our kids. Uh, if if st- when students do need counseling services, you know, we do have counselors available. Uh, we have school level counselors as well as a more specialized uh, school-based behavioral-type counselors um, with that would, are there to address more intensive needs for our students. Uh, they include um, uh, school psychologists, behavioral specialists, uh, clinical psychologists, you know, and so there is an array of services for our right. students. Uh, we definitely um, uh, are looking to increase the number of counselors that we have and, and working with um, you know, our, our higher education partners to see what we can do to in- increase the uh, number of personnel.
0: But are we starting the school year with enough counselors? Like how many vacancies do we have? Do you have a handle on that?
2: You know, I don't have the numbers right now, Catherine, but I can definitely can get that to you. Um, uh, as, as far as I'm, I'm hearing from schools, um, the the number of counselors that we have to support students uh, in terms of grade-level counselors, counselors. Um, are okay, I mean, you know, I'm hearing that correctly, and, uh, but I will definitely check into that to ensure that that's, that's right.
0: Is there a greater need, you know, in the lower grades, the upper grades? Do you have a sense? I don't know.
2: I, 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 I'm thinking um, that, you know, as, we, as we're looking at the assessments that we've taken for our students, uh, last school year we started out with a uh, social and emotional assessment for all students, kindergarten through grade 12, because we realized that the social and emotional supports for our students is critical. They need to be safe, feeling safe coming to school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being able to cope with, with different issues that, are, um, that they're dealing with. And so uh, through those assessments that are taken at the beginning of the year, mid-year, and at the end of the year, you know, we're able to um, also get a snapshot at that point in time of where students are, in addition to the normal uh, everyday supports and, and interaction and dialogue
1: that our teachers and counselors have with our students.
0: And Bruce, you want to give a board perspective?
1: Yeah, um, the department has done a good job in terms of of putting together the, the data throughout the last school year using some tools that aren't necessarily assessment intended to be assessment tools, but we're using uh, what they call screener tests, um, STAR and I and what those show, to answer your question, is that we have some very significant issues at our middle schools, as you would expect. That's a very, very difficult time for kids in terms of peer engagement, peer support, isolation. And part of it is academic results. They are not good at our middle schools. and um, And part of it is just simply the social-emotional component in terms of engagement, showing up for school. And so both for guidance counselors, mental health, as well as other supports, we need to devote additional attention at the middle school. And then remember, those eighth graders went to ninth grade, which is one of our most challenging areas historically um, for students dropping out, as well as math scores and other things. So we have the money. Uh, We have more than $300 million of federal ESSER funds. It's a matter of finding the programs that can be used at a school level and then scaled, hopefully, to help uh, larger groups of students. Catherine?
0: You know, if you're just joining the conversation, we're talking about the start of the new school year. We'd like to know what's on your mind. Join the discussion. Call 941-3689 or one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine 941 3689 from the Neighbor Islands. And, you know, uh, we did uh, uh, hear from uh, uh, a couple of uh, parents uh, about uh, concerns that, that they have uh Starting this school year, um, we talked to Ali, uh, she was a, a mom of a McKinley High School sophomore, about her worries for the new school year. Uh, my biggest concern is probably going to be uh, having enough assistance for the boys in terms of academics. Uh, our, I think our population in the school has declined. So with the decline comes a decline of teachers. And so that's a big concern. It's hard for the students versus the faculty ratio. I think that's a big issue. We also talked to a mom, uh, Grace. She says her older son just graduated from high school. Her younger son is a student now. Uh, She couldn't help but notice the differences uh, between her son's education.
5: One of the biggest things was kids coming back to school after COVID was a lot of catching up, just academically catching up and what was it? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be able to stand here with you two years ago and last year maybe, you know, versus this year, everything's open and the kids today get more freedom and more uh, the way to do things and go places. All over campus, too. So,
0: you know, she mentioned uh, catching up. You know, and I know this year is the year that we have lots of money, right, Bruce? You've got more money than we've we've seen our public school system receive.
1: Yes, I mean we are um, we are fully funded for the first time in a very long time. We have additional money to address uh, the uh, pay differentials uh, as well as the compression to keep some of our more senior teachers. Um, but the big challenge there, and, and all industries in, in the state have it, is just finding you know good staffing. Um, and the good news, if the, you can find it from the department's most recent data, is y- y- if you look at the elementary uh, school, uh, like, for example, English language arts in particular, tremendous innovative things that were done at that level in terms of uh, teaming, data analysis, collaboration among teachers – and it did make an impact uh, at, at the elementary school level or English language arts. The improvement was dramatic and that's a lo- the result of a lot of hard work. But if you look, for example, at the middle school level we were talking about, the most recent data from the, um, from the spring assessments, and this is almost 18,000 students tested, show that 60% of our middle school students were at least one grade behind in both English and math. That's a very daunting task.
0: And so, you know, Keith, how do we deal with this, you know, we heard the concern about uh, the, the need for uh, to catch up, you know, academically.
2: Right. There there's definitely an urgency to help support our students and so the department uh in an effort to uh, coalesce around four major strategies that we're looking at um across our schools. Um it, they include healthy habits, healthy schools, um action-oriented data decision making so utilizing the data that that we're collecting on students and really taking a look at that and um, uh, making some next steps determinations in terms of how we can help accelerate the learning, uh, which leads to the next effective academic practices. You know, how are we sharing our best practices? Really taking a look at um, how we're helping to connect for students and their learning and to to help to accelerate that, both in school as well as out-of-school time. So I I think it's not... um, enough to have the, um, that quality support for students in school, but we need to also continue to leverage our, um, our ESSER well, funding uh, to support students out of school, you know, after school is over. And the, the last one is uh, the responsive capacity building and how do we help build, as, as Bruce shared, the, uh, our personnel, you know, and, and um, the professional development and the sharing of supports of those effective strategies.
0: So how do we get the, the learning up to where it needs to be? I mean, you know, there was a lot of talk you know, w- with the whole issue of you know le- um, virtual learning yeah. uh, and a, a, a lot of discussion about tutoring. So, so where do I, we go with that?
2: I think you know the, um, what, what we've been really fortunate is that uh, with the influx of the federal, federal funding and uh, the support from the legislature and as well as the support from the board who recently passed uh, uh, an increase – in our part-time teacher rates, a substantial increase. you know, And so um, the uh, the number of, of teachers that uh, would be also teaching after school as a, as a part-time teacher um, during the summers, during intersessions, um, have gone up. I think in talking to various principals over the summer, uh, we've had after-school programs, and they've been very innovative in what they've done to, to attract students to school during the summer Uh, um, leveraging the arts, music, uh, different kinds of crafts, but connecting that to the learning, connecting that to the mathematics, the science, to English, um, helping to bridge those connections um, to help students
1: uh, accelerate in what they're doing.
0: Bruce, do you think we did enough this summer to to, um, help with that?
1: We made some strides, and... I think Keith's major point, which is the right one, is it's not going to be one thing. It's going to be a lot of little things. Um, We we have a shortage of good tutors in the state. That's just a fact. It's very difficult to find here. We're working with the university to develop more tutors. As Keith mentioned, we increased the pay rates for teachers. More teachers did participate in in after-school tutoring, which is great. And together with all that, you know, we've talked about the differences in the different grades. This should not be a surprise to anyone. Our our biggest challenges are in those areas where we have large percentages of English learners, um, as well as our, our e- economically disadvantaged. Our, our Pacific Islander community um, has really struggled in this. And what's disappointing is we were making progress before the pandemic, and we've lost almost all that project progress. So as we deploy all these resources, find innovative programs that work, we need to have particular attention to those communities that have those disadvantaged populations. And I believe that's what the department is doing, right, Keith? Yes, it,
2: we are. And um, I think what, what we, we just had our Educational Leadership Institute, You know, where we put all of our, our school and complex and state leaders together. Your and think it, tank. Our, our think <laughs> tank, right. And it's, uh, the, the theme of the institute was uh, uh, papa. And, and pulling everyone together for a common vision, a common purpose, you know, coming off of the pandemic, you know, we're really going to work, continue to work together to support each other. And I think the, the solution to how we're going to move forward is, is with us in education, you know, and all of us as well as our, our external stakeholders. You know, we're going to need the support of everyone to help our students and uh, address their needs. You know, and, and definitely there's an urgency for that.
0: I want to talk more about the disadvantaged communities, but uh, we've got to take a break. So, uh, you know, you are listening to the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. You can join our discussion by calling one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. 941 3689 Stay with us. We'll be right back in a few minutes.
3: Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR
2: Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its
4: locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii.
0: In a series of hearings, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection has laid out its case. President Trump summoned the mob assembled the mob, and lit the flame of this attack. What we've learned from the committee's summer hearings and what might happen next. I'm Tamara Keith. Join us for an NPR Politics special.
1: Beginning this afternoon at 5.
2: Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, providing art experiences for the community. Learn more about summer art classes and workshops for adults and keiki at honolulumuseum.org.
0: You are back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. Uh, I want to get back to this idea of of, uh, meeting the needs of the disadvantaged uh, uh, kids uh, in in, uh, communities across the state. Um, We did uh, hear from Sherry Nakamura. She's with the He'e Coalition, which stands for Hui for Excellence in Education. Um, It's a a public education advocacy group. Uh, Here's what she said The pandemic has had a disproportionately uh, adverse effect on our disadvantaged students. One obstacle that we face at the state and Board of Education level is that we're not provided with the data that permits us to see what extent learning loss or social-emotional loss has occurred. In addition, the data that's provided is not analyzed and um, synthesized in a way that helps us understand where we can best focus our resources. The school should know where their students are academically and socially-emotionally as they should have systems in place to know where every student is. However, the DOE does not gather or disclose data and provide analysis on students in a way that would provide us with critical information that would enhance our ability to address the needs of our disadvantaged students, especially those who are struggling." So, what do you you say to
2: that, Keith? You know, our schools are definitely working very hard in analyzing the data that they collect on on, our students. Uh, You know, we do have, uh, as as Bruce shared earlier, universal screeners, both academic screeners for English, uh, for reading and math, as well as uh, social-emotional screeners. And those screeners are taken at least uh, three times a year. Um, Based on where our students are, uh, our teachers um, identify a student's needs and then um, uh, adjust those instructional strategies appropriately to help students move forward um they our students also have been uh they can be recommended for additional supports uh in, as i shared earlier you know out of school time support uh and so I, when it it it's a little troubling when uh, there's a perception that uh, our, our schools are, and our teachers are not analyzing and synthesizing the data uh definitely we are collecting data at at least three times a year uh you know especially for elementary and middle school kids and um using that data to help drive our instructional decisions.
0: So, Bruce, do you see the see the data that he's talking about?
1: We do. And backing up to Sherry, for example, mm-hmm. her group um, has do, is doing some very innovative work on Kauai. I don't know if you're familiar with it uh, at the elementary schools, where, among other things, at the elementary school levels, they're looking at the specific data within their schools And making changes in terms of of teaming teachers, data strategies, and they've made some significant gains at certain, particularly in English language arts, at some uh, uh, Kauai elementary schools. And I thank her and every one of the education community advocates that tries those kinds of innovative things. Keith is correct. We have lots of data. What we don't, what we should do a better job of is making that data understandable um, to the public. Uh, We don't do a great job of that. And part of the strategic plan process the board is starting out is we're going to make data requests to the department and others. There's going to be what they call um, data retreats, basically data sessions where, as a group, with the department's input, data experts, and the board, we begin to understand the data. Um, And it's, you know, what can we do with the existing data we have that we're not doing uh, and what additional data might we need. And this is not to say we're going to do lots of testing. That's not it. But as one example, every year uh, we take as an, as an assessment test of achievement the Smarter Balanced uh, assessment. There's lots of underlying data there that perhaps could be used to particularly see where those students that are failing are not reaching proficiency in the levels. Where are we struggling, you know, and, and within complexes. And so in short, we have lots of data, um, and on a national level it's, we're actually commended for that. We just need to make the data more understandable and better use of it, particularly at the school level. Hey,
2: if I can add one thing, uh, Catherine, you know, uh, definitely, you know, I agree with what Lucy is saying. Also, though, um, I've been very fortunate in this position uh, last school year to be able to visit schools. You know, and uh, during those visits, I've seen uh, data teams getting together across the state at different schools in different complexes in different islands. And I, I've seen teachers sit down, look at their screener data, uh, group students to see how they're doing, address those issues that students have, and they're actually tracking students individually on how they're moving throughout the school year. You know, so um, those kinds of practices, you know, I think we definitely we want to continue to to highlight and encourage because they are effective, um, and and again sharing that out to ensure that. You know, all of our schools are doing that, and as as far as I know, you know, in talking with the complex area superintendents who help to support principals in schools, um, our schools are really looking at the data and, and, and They're moving doing things it. forward.
0: Okay, we have a caller on the line, uh, Naleana from Makiki. What's on your mind?
5: Hi there, a lot, Catherine Naleana Meyer here, and and superintendent. Thank you so much. I wanted to just take a quick moment. To share that with all of this comprehensive and existing data um, it always points to the arts making such a profound difference in the um, lives and education of our youth particularly elementary I'd love you Keith to uh, just know that we haven't had elementary art uh, throughout the state in a very long time in the in those grade grade levels as well as it being a very important tool visual and musical arts for ESL um, learning communities, our communities at risk. I've been an educator my whole life, and that is what I do um, in the arts. And I've seen it firsthand make that kind of difference. So I'm hoping uh, to, you know, to encourage that and just to thank you. I've I've watched you out at Waipahu or wherever I was when you were out um, as a superintendent. I mean, a superintendent, but um, principal, and I... I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for all the the great work that I evidenced where you were, walking into a cafeteria with hundreds of children and their parents, and the enthusiasm I experienced was actually uh, really heartwarming. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for that.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I I definitely agree with you that the arts and art education uh, is is very important, um, you know, as we... Uh, support our students um, art visual arts, creative arts uh, the, the the music uh, definitely an integral part of a well rounded curriculum for our students um, and, and a way to help reach many of our many of our kids so thank you very much for that
0: Is that right though we just don't have enough uh, art classes in the lower level I loved art when I was
2: in elementary school um, you know, I, I think what, what we're doing too is we're incorporating art and um, integrating the uh, what we're doing with the arts, uh, with with reading and with writing, um, I know of of uh, schools and elementary schools that you know as they, they do creative writing and they work on on um, uh, their writing curriculum. Students are demonstrating their knowledge of writing through creating books, you know, and incorporating watercolor, incorporating uh, um, different kinds of design. Uh, through those
1: projects, connecting with the core area
0: well I, I guess I just just think that you know that was such a key thing growing up art
1: well it it, it is key and, and I was a terrible artist My, my kids fortunately are good <laughs> artists um, uh, they took after their mother um, l- lucky for them, but you know what what Keith is talking about is incorporating art as part of project based learning, and we you know, we hear that term a lot, and most people re- don't really understand what it means. Um, yeah, the eyes glaze over. <laughs> exactly, like, oh, that, that sounds complicated. But really it's not. It's, it's incorporating all the different disciplines, all the different ways that you can teach, learn, and most importantly think. And art is a critical piece of that. And as Keith said, you know, what we want to do is integrate art into project-based learning at the elementary school level. So, for example, if they're doing something with um, uh, growing gardens in in their elementary schools, which we do have a lot of now in our schools, which is great, and they can draw pictures of that. Um, And then as they progress through middle school and high school, that kind of project-based learning, including art, becomes just part of the way that they learn and think. That's what we really hope to do.
0: All right. There are a couple of things I want to hit before the hour is up. Uh, buses. Where are we at on buses? I know that's a real problem, particularly on the Big Island, where you've got long distances. Uh, how are we going into the school year?
2: Um, our department, uh, uh, the department, the facilities office of facilities and operations actually has been uh, working extensively to try to get and recruit bus drivers. Uh, so we're uh, short. We're, we are. We are still a little short, um, but definitely working really hard to uh, provide different kinds of engaging opportunities that we can hopefully get community members to come and uh, really understand what what it's about and uh, get more bus drivers uh, into our system. Do
0: you know how many were short on the Big Island?
2: I don't have the numbers offhand, uh, Catherine, but I I do know we're slightly short still there. um, And we do realize how important transportation is. Right. I mean, with gas,
0: it's just, oh, my gosh, if you can get your child on a school bus – that would be a big help. Uh, what else are we doing to recruit we, drivers? I mean, are you seeing uh, shortages on other islands as well?
2: Um, I, I believe um, we, we still are short a little on uh, on, on Maui and possibly on Oahu. Uh, we did just have last week uh, Facilities in Operation did have a campaign to uh, recruit bus drivers out in Ewa, uh, and I believe we did. We were very fortunate. We, we did get a handful of drivers so we want to get them trained and, you know, um, uh, ready for the new school year. Uh,
0: where are we at with uh, uh, school safety? You know, we've had uh, some terrible shootings uh, on the mainland uh, across the globe. There have just been incidents. So uh, how's the board looking at the new year and how we keep kids safe?
1: So this is an operational matter. But um, And Keith can address this more, but I can just very briefly talk about some of the things that the department is doing. The department has a fully staffed and and, and very um, vigilant uh, safety division led by Max Mendoza, who does a great job there. The department has done uh, threat assessments on a a substantial percentage of its schools, needs to do more. Um, Schools are working on their safety plans. Uh, those plans need to be developed per board policy and consultation with the um, with the police departments and make sure they 're adopting best practices and then communicated as appropriately to the parents so that they make sure in these situations they know what 's happening and obviously that 's a balance you don 't want to give out too much information and then lastly, um, what the board is concerned about is that the other pieces the prevention pieces are there. Uh, that the mental health supports, like Osa was talking about, are there, particularly at the middle and um, middle and high school level, that there is no shaming, that uh, people are willing to identify uh, uh, predict students that are at risk and get them the support they need, and then that our anti-bullying policies are rigorously enforced because one of the great correlations the studies have shown of active shooters at schools are kids who have been bullied or believe they've been bullied and uh by and large, the schools have lots to do. The principal has a lot to do they They have been doing a good job with the bullying policies and Keith can address more about that
2: we We just had a uh, statewide training uh for all of our schools a mandatory training uh um two weeks ago and uh it was exactly what Bruce shared um what are the look fors that um uh, if students are experiencing uh, stress or or trauma you know what, what do we look for and then um, getting those students uh, the the supports that they need and what processes, more importantly also, what processes do we have in place consistently statewide um, and through schools so that we're able to adequately assess and address the needs of these students um, and support them uh, before it gets to a point where, um, you know, we, we have a problem or an issue.
0: And do, we, do you know what the trends are as far as, like, the Chapter 19 offenses? I mean, are they up, down? I mean, you know. I,
2: Um, I'm not exactly sure the number. Um, I do know, though, in talking to some principals that uh, last school year, you know, at the beginning of the school year coming back, uh, initially we were having an increase in the number of uh, incidences on campus, uh, you know, minor-type incidences. However, uh, with schools and staff continuing to work with students, um, as the school year progressed last year and students were in person, because prior to that they were out, right, for two years, um, the the number of incidences did did decline. So we're hoping for that to continue.
0: And we're putting a last call out for uh, listeners out there who want to uh, uh, ask a question uh, of the school superintendent or the head of the school board. Uh, call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. What about the use of single-use plastics in our cafeterias? Because, you know, we went from... I think there were some schools that were trying to go back to metal forks and, and spoons. <laughs> so where are we at with that?
2: As of right now, um, in, in checking with um, our facilities office, uh, we are um, continuing to uh, utilize biodegradable plastics um, within our schools. And if there are schools that, um, for whatever reason, would want to move towards uh, going back to those, those metal um, forks, uh, we would definitely need to have a discussion with them to see um and, and ensure that uh the proper procedures are in place but currently right now we are um looking at biodegradable plastics
0: okay and then as far as the, the single serve we're dropping all those requirements with the with the prepared food i mean they'll still have trays in the in the cafeteria
2: we're we're going back to um traditional serving yes
0: okay um gosh uh Oh I know I wanted to ask about the uh uh school facilities authority because that's a big change and I know that they've got money attached I think to build uh new preschools uh but there are schools that need to get built you know for example in Kaka'ako, uh Pohukaina, that's been on the on on the table on the drawing uh table for some time now so so how are we going to dovetail uh you know the to focus on those pre, the preschool emphasis and then just schools that just need to get built?
2: We, we have wor- uh, met together with uh, uh, Chad Keone-Farias uh, from the School Facilities Authority and uh, working together with them to see how we move forward. This being uh, a new authority, and for me, uh, brand new to working together with them, definitely looking forward to uh, uh, leveraging those funds that the legislature appropriated to $200 million for, uh, for our preschools. Um, also working together with the uh, uh, Executive Office of Early Learning uh, to identify those schools. And we have some schools already identified, and how do we move forward then uh, to help uh, engage SFA to build and design out um, and and get those processes
1: going so we can get those preschool classrooms in.
0: What do you think is going to be the biggest challenge, Bruce, for this
1: authority? It's going to be the same thing that we face in the schools, Catherine. It's going to be staffing. Uh, There's a huge shortage in the state of project managers, good project managers. We have that already at the department within the uh, repair and maintenance branch. And so I think as a practical matter going forward, the school facilities agency and the department, there's going to be some overlap as we begin to define roles and try to get projects moving and then uh, the school facilities agency hopefully can leverage and use some of the best practices the department has been doing to get uh, projects out, uh, you know, out to bid and outdone, job order contracting, some of the other innovative things they have. Um, and it's going to be one of those things where um, everybody wants to see beautiful new schools like tomorrow. Um, we we want to be able to get the school facilities in the condition where every student and every parent is proud of them but we need to do it in an efficient, effective way. We cannot waste the funds the legislature has given us. So that's the tension there, Catherine.
0: Okay. We have a caller on the line, Lynn from Wahiawa. Hi. Hi, how are you Hi. doing? Hi. Yeah,
3: yeah um, well, my question is surrounded um, with the uh, vocational education courses. In the 90s, I was a high school teacher, and I taught metal shop and electricity and all of these things. And I was able to get... Have the students earn a science or a math degree because I incorporated those things in the classes. But the back to basics program came, and I had I was instructed to shut down my metal shop, and so I uh, I left teaching in the 90s. And you know I really felt bad about leaving those students that um, some of them were at risk students, and you know I'm not sure. What happened to them? So I'm wondering if those programs are coming back. Is there an effort to bring those programs back in the high schools? And that's my question. Thank you. Thank and I'll hang up now. Bye.
2: Right. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn, for, for that very important question. Most definitely, um, uh, what was vocational education? Now we're calling it career and technical education. Uh, it, it, it is very vibrant and important in our, in our schools. Um, within career and technical education, uh, we have a number of uh, of pathways, thirteen pathways that our students can choose from, and what the goal of of our pathways and pathway development is to really take a look at what our students are passionate about, um, and helping to set that sense of purpose for them, and how are we getting them ready for life after high school, so that as they as they uh, as they leave us as graduates of our public schools, um, they're prepared either to enter higher education or directly into the workforce or, or into military service um, so that they can earn a living wage, stay in, um, in Hawaii, and uh, take care of and raise a family. So definitely uh, career and technical education is here to stay. It's a very important part of, uh, of our development for our students.
0: And, uh, you know, we had a shy caller on the line, uh, Sean, uh, from Pearl City, I wanted to know, uh, what are you doing to retain and recruit administrators?
2: That, that, that's a really good question. Um, you know, we do have uh, a number of, uh, uh, as, as far as principals, uh, many of our principals are uh, either in their in the first or the second year, I believe about 25% of them. And it, it's, uh, we're definitely, um, uh, our school leaders are so important. Uh, and so, really taking a look at how we can, for these for new principals that are coming up to the program, and our leadership inst- within our leadership institute, um, how can we leverage the uh, expertise and the and the w- knowledge and wisdom of some of our longtime principals that have recently retired? So you know, thankfully they've come back and they're helping to mentor our new principals. I think it's also important that. Um, uh, we, we continue to create a culture where the principalship and the vice principalship is uh, something that people aspire to, to be and to do uh, because it is definitely uh, very important in working collaboratively with our teachers and our staff at, within our schools. So, um, yeah.
0: Do you think we're doing enough to entice um, administrators? Either they've gone off to the mainland, you know, to having to come back home.
1: As the superintendent says, this is one of our big challenges, or you can look at it as an area of opportunity. Uh, We are short on um, good administrators, and our pipeline is, is not there. But... I know we're coming to the end here, but it's all kind of wrapped together, Catherine. We need to create a sense of positive momentum, that we're making strides, that we're remaking the system, that we're we're creating new lines of accountability and communication so that promising teachers want to take the step up and say, hey, I can be part of something. I can be part of a new educational system that's making real strides and bringing equity and excellence to students. That kind of positive sense we need to continue building.
0: We about about two minutes left, Keith. Any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, uh, school year teachers report back on Tuesday. School year opens up uh, August first for our 160 thousand students. Uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to this school year. Uh, you know, there are definitely challenges that we're going to need to address. You know, and uh, but it's important, I think, that everyone continue to work together. Uh, I'm excited in, in, in just what I saw last year that was happening within our schools. Um, Definitely that's going to continue, and then we're going to continue this this positive momentum and moving forward to ensure that we're addressing the needs of all of our students.
0: Well, I'm going to invite you back, both of you back, you know, in a couple of months just to see, okay, what kind of progress are we making? Are we on track? Are we falling behind? Uh, Because, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of challenges on board. We've got a lot of money this year. We've got to spend it. They're spending deadlines, and can we get the infrastructure in place uh, and And at the end of the day, I guess uh, can we can we meet the needs of the students bruce i 'll let you close out any, any final thoughts
1: uh, Teachers were exhausted at the end of last year, but we 've had a summer where hopefully they can recharge and reflect on the incredible work they did last year, and we have challenges, but we also have opportunities, and we need to take take advantage of them with a sense of urgency
0: okay all right well, we would like to thank our guest, Bruce Voss and um, uh, Keith Hayashi, school superintendent and school board chair. And we'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. If you have a comment to share about today's show, we ask you to call our Talk back line at 808-792-8217. You can send us an email at talkback at org. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the conversation podcast at org. Our program is produced by Savannah Harriman Pope, Russell SubiONO, and Lillian Song. Our intern is Emily Tom. The backyard quiz theme, written for us by John Demello, and our theme music, courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation.